Okay, guys, just a couple of things before we start. Uh, number one, if any of you are going to YU and want to consider the honors program, so there is a presentation today from 1.15 to 2. Obviously, it contradicts, to some degree, the uh, Thanksgiving lunch, but you could go to it and still make most of lunch. So, well, or if you're considering. Meaning, it is a very good scholarship. I don't remember how much money it is, but uh, getting you remember what it is? I'm sorry? Okay, so that's pretty good. It's a significant reduction in your college tuition. Okay? So that is downstairs one thing to do. Secondly, I want to thank, there are quite a few parents who contributed to the Thanksgiving lunch, but apparently it's too, too long a list to mention. So you know who you are, and uh, thank you. And thirdly, we're very excited to have various parents with us now. So I'll just mention very briefly. We have Hoodie's father, Yehuda's father. We have uh, Elliot's parents and twin sister. Jake's mother. I think Aton's parents and wait, I'm sorry, who's the other person there? I'm sorry? Ah, okay. I didn't realize because I saw your dad just here. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. And the, and the larger Savinor clan. So good. Okay. Jack's mom? I mentioned her. No? I did mention her. Okay. So we're going to do a very interesting topic today. Uh, many of you know that I am very interested when different religious values clash, different ethical values clash, and how a system will navigate that clash. So when you see an example today of a clash like that, but the other thing that's interesting is not just the clash, but how halakha developed over time. And post-skim seem to move it in one direction over the course of Jewish history. Okay, so let's see what I'm talking about. So of course, we value greatly having children. There's a mitzvah per revu, right, to have a boy and a girl. And uh, we, want to, we want to propagate the world and preserve the Jewish people. So that is clearly a significant value in our system. Okay, at the same time, uh, sometimes that could conflict with another value, which we'll see right now. Okay, so let's start with the Mishnah in Yavamot. So, first source. Okay, so a person got married, and unfortunately after 10 years, they're still barren. So here we have a clash, right? We have the loyalty of marriage, right, or the romance of marriage. On the other hand, maybe just they're not capable of producing children together. And will that mean that there'll be a lifetime of barrenness? So no one believes you early, because if you don't like the first psaac, wait till we get through the entire system, okay? But what does the Mishnah say? Eino rishai levatel. You do not have a right to negate the mitzvah of peruvu. Wait, so what do we want someone to do at that point if they can't have kids? So you, so you can Rashi, Rashi has, oh, Moises, so Rashi has two possibilities. Eino rishai levatel, ela o yegarshena, either divorce her, o yisa acherima. Now, don't forget, even though polygamy was not widely practiced in Talmudic times, it's actually quite a, kind of hard to find any Talmudic story where someone has two wives, but nonetheless, it was still technically mutar. Okay, so the Mishnah says, well, we want to fulfill the mitzvah peruvu, so either divorce her or, well, obviously from the husband's perspective here, or marry a second woman. Okay, let's go back to the Mishnah. Okay, Girsha, what if they ended up in divorce? She's allowed to marry another person. Because, again, what are we saying? We're not assuming for sure that she's the barren one. We don't know, right? They're not doing medical tests in so many times. So, if someone else marries her, maybe she'll be able to have kids with this other person. right? But the first guy will decide after 10 years that uh, it's just not working for him and try a different solution. Okay, let's read a little bit more. Now, this is also important. Okay, there's a very significant document, which we still do today from Talmudic times, the Ketuvah, and the Ketuvah is supposed to give economic protection to the wife. I mean, don't forget, most of human history, wives were not, you know, the same uh, bread earners as their husbands, right? So if a husband just divorced them, they might be a little bit bereft. So we said, no, no, they, uh, anytime you divorce a woman, you have to provide financial support for her, or if the husband dies. Right? That is what we call the ketubah, which we still have today. In fact, at a wedding, we read it in between the two parts of the wedding, right, between the kiddushin and the nesu and the chapa. And those of you who are thinking about planning your next marriage ceremony, so we try to give that to someone who's good at reading Aramaic. 
because otherwise it is very painful to, to hear. Uh, so okay, you could give, it's kind of interesting, right? The bracha you could give to someone who's very, who doesn't, not very knowledgeable at all, especially give them a short bracha. That's a great trick. Like, uh, almost anybody can make it through. Okay, but the ketuba reading you tend to give to someone with, uh, with greater knowledge. But in any case, that's the ketuba. Now, I think it's important that the, this woman gets the ketuba. Because what would that mean, guys? Karen, tell me why some woman wouldn't get a ketuba when a marriage breaks up? Yeah? No, no, not if they signed it away. What if it's somehow, yeah? It's conditional on the fact that you Nope. What if, Jack? Excellent. Okay. It's always good when the, you always love it when the guys get the right answers when their mom's sitting next to them. Just, you can't beat that. Okay. So if the woman is somehow viewed as responsible for the, for the marriage falling apart. Like what if she's a serial adulteress, right? So then the husband would be allowed to divorce her and not pay the ketuba. So notice if you're paying the ketuba here, clearly what are we not saying? We're not saying there's some kind of like moral fault here. Oh, the woman's at fault and therefore she defaults on the ketuba. Not at all. She collects the full ketuba. Okay, it's still good? Okay, next. But again, if we stop this year right here, it would seem in the clash between, let's say, the desire to produce children and the loyalty of marriage, it would seem that producing children wins. Okay, but again, but things are going to shift as Jewish history progresses. Okay, next. What's the source of this? So, even though there's no proof, there's like a hint. Okay, we'll see who really knows their Chumash here. What happens after 10 years of Avram being in Canaan? We don't have the end of the puzzle here. After Abba Zikon for 10 years, what initiative is... Yes, Benji Gohn. That is exactly right. And very good. And who... Now, this is interesting, though. It's more of a Chumash here than a Gemarsh here. If you look at the Pesukim there, it's so clear. Whose initiative is it? Jack? It's a complete Sar initiative. Look at the verbs, guys. Sar is the active one. It even conveys that Sar kind of like physically brings Hagar to Avram. Avram is not running to do this, but Sarai wants to do this. Fine. Be that, believe that aside, what do we have here, though, in terms of timing? It says, when did Sarai come up with this initiative? After, ten years after they moved from Haran to Canaan. So what does the Gemara want to claim? Why was that the time to marry somebody else? Well, that's when they decided that Sarai was, in fact, barren. Right, we said ten years is the limit. Oh, so they've been there for ten years. Sarai's barren. One option is to marry another wife. So they're going to marry Hagar. Now, you guys, there's an obvious question to be asked here, which is, okay, it was 10 years since they got to Canaan, but not 10 years since they got married. So the Mishnah continues. Uh, there it is. Oh, we need our flaming Zionist here, but Oran is not here. Okay, who, who else is a big Zionist here? Is that a joke or really? Okay, <laughs> that's why you study like a lot of Zionist history in your spare time, right? Okay, excellent. So Shalom loves this, right? Shalom says, look, like life in Chutzlaretz doesn't even count. It's a big zero, right? So we don't start the clock till you get to Eretz Yisrael. So it doesn't matter. The barren years of Chutzlaretz don't matter. Oh, we get to Israel. We start the clock. Then after 10 years, so I decided to move on. Okay, Lefikach, but now the mission is something else interesting. Sorry, this is Gemara now. Chalahu shechalti oshneim chavushim beveta asurin. If one is sick or they're in jail, ain olin lo minaminyan. What's the claim? As long as you have some kind of excuse, this halacha does not apply. So if chutzlarts is an excuse, what else constitutes a valid halachic excuse? Illness or they couldn't be together because they were jailed. Now, one thing I'm not sure about, the Gemara must ask this. I never chance to look it up. I'm curious why the case is Shneim Chavushim Beit Azurim, right? Wouldn't it be suffice to have one of them in jail, right? It should have the same impact, the same impact on their relationship. But uh, let's leave that be for now. Okay, now comes the interesting question. Here we go, guys. Okay, it's always interesting in Chumash to contrast the different Avot Nimod and their relationship. So Yitzchak and Rivka is a little bit of an outlier. So if I ask you guys, how does the Yitzchak-Rivka relationship differ from both their generation before and the generation after? Yes. Now, Yitzchak only marries one wife. So you might say, okay, because he didn't have any issues. But we know that's not true. Because how old is Yitzchak when he gets married? 40. 40, very good. And how old is Yitzchak when he has a child? 60. So 20 years is a long time to not have kids. 
And yet, it notice, it never comes up once. They never suggest, oh, marry a maidservant. Right? It's a very interesting phenomenon that people don't pay attention to, that Yitzchak Rivka had a long, extended period of barrenness without discussing the shit. But so in a certain sense, that's the worst question now. So, Amalei Rav Lerav Nachman, V'leilif mi Yitzchak, Meaning, wait, you're telling me after 10 years you have to do something. You obviously don't have to because Yitzchak did not. Okay, what's the Gemara's answer? YG, how you doing? YG, find your seat. Make yourself comfortable. Okay. Amrlei, now this is really interesting, but we're not going to get into it. Yitzchak Akurhaya. What does the Gemara assume? That you did here? Now, how they knew it is an interesting question. But the claim is, there the assumption was Yitzchak was the one who had trouble having kids. So Yitzchak certainly can't say to Rivka, oh, I could divorce you because I need to fulfill my mitzvah peruvu if he is the one who is preventing the ability to have children. Yes? Someone had the hand over there? No? I was just going to say, I think it's Sean that he was the one. How do you know that? In the second? If it was Rivka, then he would... According to, if he followed the logic of his father, then he would have married. Okay, that's essentially the smart. Fine. If he was the issue, then it wouldn't make a difference. Okay, fine. However, some of you, I know a lot of you are doing Schneidmicker these days. So some of, what? Okay. Uh, that, that's a good point. Do you have a Tanakh there? Do you have a Tanakh one second? Actually, is it right there? Thank you. Uh, Elliot, very good. Uh, he also does it in front of his parents. Excellent. See, guys, when he's not reading the Bernstein Bears, he's learning Chumash in his spare time. Excellent. Yes. Okay. So, at, at the very least, you probably have to say they're both. They both have an issue. Right, because it does exclusively say very good. Kiyakarai. Okay, in any case. What? Ooh, you did your. Uh, okay. Okay. That, that, that I'm not sure if you're supposed to say for the parents. Okay. But. Uh, all right, guys. Who remembers Rashi actually has an alternate suggestion? I remember Rashi's alternate suggestion. Rashi on Kumash. Why Yitzchak waited 20 years? Joe? Because Yitzchak Excellent. Guys, this was not planned. I did not plant this beforehand. It's just working out that... Uh, right, Yehuda, you feeling the pressure now? Yeah, okay, it'll be, it'll be all right. Okay, so... Uh, what are you doing, okay? Okay. <laughs> okay, so in any case, Rashi follows one of you in Chazal that Rivka got married at the age of three. I already explained to you why you do not have to commit to that. Okay, which we'll see in a second. Even Chazal was not the only opinion. But if Rivka did get married at the age of three, so that obviously before she's had puberty and can, is not capable of having a child, the years don't count. So the claim would be you wait till she becomes a mature adult and then you count the 10 years. So notice, if you went that way, it would be not like this Kamara. According to this Kamara, why did Yitzchak wait 20 years? Because he said, I'm the problem. Since I'm the problem, there's no solution to move on to a different wife. Whereas Rashi does not have Yitzchak concluding that. Rashi says, oh, they don't start the clock till Rivka physically matures. However, look at this. So Tosvos, in source four, we're going to skip three. Tosvos says, wait, why don't we go with the Rashi solution? He didn't wait more than 10. Going with Joe's approach. Till she becomes physically mature. Starts having a period. She can't have kids. The Yeshlomar is very exciting for all of us who don't like the idea that Rivka was three. The Midrashim Chalukim. What would it mean, Midrashim Chalukim? They're Midrashim that differ. And he says, If anyone ever wants to see this, look at Tosvot in Yavamot three pages earlier on Samach Aleph Amid Bet on 61b. There, without getting to why, he suggests that Rivka was 14 when she got married. Okay, so no one should feel that I know. That's kind of interesting. I wonder why the Rivka being three, everybody knows. Is that because of Rashi? Maybe Rashi's influence. Like everybody here learned at some point in elementary school probably that Rivka was three, unless you went to Barkai. Where's Ronnie? Is Ronnie in the room? Ronnie, how, what, did you, what did they teach in Barkai? Um, they don't really talk about her age, Rabbi. Okay, that's fair. Uh, that actually makes sense, because in Pshat, you have no idea how old she is. Right? That's right, they didn't discuss it at all. 
But you know, did you ever hear that she was three? Ah, uh, see, it's somehow part of the culture. Even if you're in Barakai, you can't escape it. Ronnie, you heard that she was three before? Not really. Okay. Ronnie, you're really like in this pure Barakai bubble. It's amazing. Socially isolated from the rest of Amisro. Okay. That's actually probably a better solution. I bet it was said in the same room and Ezra heard it and you weren't listening. <laughs> okay, so in any case... But now realize, guys, it is not universally agreed that Rivka was three. We have a toast was suggesting she was 14. So obviously, if you hold like that toast vote, right, you wouldn't be able to use the Rashi solution. And that's why our Gemara has another solution. And you might even say the mere fact that our Gemara has another solution means that this Gemara is not assuming that Rivka was three, right? Because then you wouldn't need to say that Yitzchak was a court. Okay, but in any case, let's just sum up where we are, guys. At this point, what we have, we have this idea that after 10 years of barrenness, we need a solution. Because we have this value of Puruvu that's not being realized. We said that uh, she will still get her ketuba. We're not assuming that the woman's at fault somehow. And we also said that there are various things that could push it off. Like being in Chutzlaretz apparently doesn't count. And illnesses, or they were apart for an extended period, that doesn't count either. Finally, we asked about the Yitzchak paradigm. Doesn't Yitzchak not do anything after 10 years? There's a... 20-year gap, we now have two approaches. If I want to go with Rashi and that approach in Chazal, we didn't count the years till she was physically mature. If we'd prefer to go with Tosfot and the other approach, so you can go with Argamar, Yitzchak was barren, and therefore he had no right to divorce his wife. Okay, any comments or questions thus far? We're good. Zan, do you have a good time here? Excellent. Okay, so now we're going to start to see how things change over the course of Jewish history. And I think a lot of postgim really felt that the value of loyalty, the value of not breaking up a marriage, was a very, very important value. And that value has to find its place in our system also. So if we just had this Mishnah, there'd be a sense that, again, in our clash, prove who's the winner. Right? We have to do whatever we can to ensure that this fellow could produce children. But as we move through history, we'll see that things change a little bit. Okay, Dan Berger, welcome. What brings you to Israel? Okay. Guys, Dan Berger is very illustrious uh, Bogervars, was here the last two years. Also, if you want to make a creative video or portrait, he is your man. Okay, an artist of uh, multi-talented dimensions. Okay, in fact, uh, the best video of the Moss Cafe ever in Jewish history was made by him. Okay. Okay, have you seen it? Are you aware of its existence? I was not aware of it. Joe Samurai, do we aware of its existence? I'm not aware of its existence. Wait, even your, uh, these SDR guys, I guess you're too old. I guess I age out, yeah. Okay, fine. Okay, so let's go to source six. We're going to see how things start to shift. Okay, so we go to the Shulchan Aruch. Now, Evan Ezra, of course, is where he deals with laws of marriage. Okay, again, I know a lot of you know this, but why is Evan Ezra a good name for the part about marriage? What, what biblical pasuk is it playing off? Oh, come on, you guys know this. Yes. No. I know the Shining Back guys know it, but they're being uh, reticent here. Yes. Eselo Ezer Kinegdo. So the word Ezer is associated with finding a spouse, right? Okay, here we go. Says the Shulchan Arach. I'm sore six. So as he starts, it sounds like the Mishnah, right? Yotzi Biyiten Ketubah. Divorce her and give her the ketubah. Oh, Yisa Isha relate or marry another woman. Vim lo It sounds like we're tough on this. If he says, I don't want to. Kofin o What's kofin? We coerce him. Hang into the guys. Now shows up the Ramah. Aga, yesho mrim. So he has a limitation and then a radical shift. Here's the limitation. This is only when? Didn't give birth at all. So already we kind of narrowed down the halacha. The halacha could have been more extreme. What would be a more extreme version? If they only have a son after 10 years, they have to get divorced because they still have to fulfill Bruvu and they need to produce a daughter. Okay, but we said we don't say that. Once they've had a kid, it's all off. I can think of a lot of reasons for it, but we're not going to get into it right now. But a point apparently this halacha is only total barrenness. Not merely the technical fact that you didn't fulfill proof. Okay, but what I really want to focus on what comes next. Notice, guys, sometimes there's a certain dynamism to the halachic process. 
what customary practice developed by the time you get to the 1500s? What would that mean? A norgin lachuf. Yeah, but let's get the word. Well, first let's do norgin. What's norgin is from the word minag. What is the customarily practice? And what's lachuf? We just had that word, guys. Yeah. So what is what happened? Apparently, at some point in Jewish history, what was the decision? We don't curse on this matter, right? The husband and wife want to stay together. They stay together. We don't care that they haven't had a child in 10 years. So the question is like, what halakhic arguments were utilized to create this shift? Everyone got that? Here's this very interesting shift. In Mishnaic times, it seemed like there's this norm. If you're bound for 10 years, you have to do something about it. You can't just stay in the current situation, right? Prove who is calling. But somehow over the course of Jewish history, we moved in a different direction. Okay, so I'm curious. We're going to see three or four different arguments, guys. Based on what we've read so far, can anyone come up with an argument why the Ramah could sit there in Krakow and say, we do not coerce couples to get divorced after 10 years? Anyone have a good argument? Moises? Uh, yeah, but didn't we say the Gemara that Yitzchak was barren? Uh, yeah, but then people disagree. Uh, well, the other, the other possibility is that Rivka was three, so Nita would really help us right here, right? Okay, yes, Josiah. Oh, terrific. Ben, do you want to say that also? No. What do you want to say? I want to say, like, during the mission times, I think I was being so Ah, that's interesting. Okay, so let's go to the Shoot Marie Mintz. Now, I had seven. I, I had to look who this was. So he actually, it's pretty remarkable. According to uh, Wikipedia, he lived more than 100 years. Try to think, like, not so many people in the old days lived more than 100 years. I'm trying to think of any other famous rabbi I could think of who lived more. I, I cannot think, right, before the modernity, obviously. Right? I, can we think of like a Rishon who lived more than 100 years? It was pretty remarkable. I'm sorry? <laughs> what do you got? Okay. Okay. YG, not bad, but he's not a Rishon. Okay, right? I'm just saying, like, it, was, it wasn't a bad joke, but it, it didn't really fit the criteria of my question. Okay, so uh, in any case, also, why you don't forget, right? We have to go to the other mode sometimes? Okay, excellent. Only he understood. Whoever got it, got it. Whoever didn't get it, that's your fault. Okay, so he was originally in Germany, and then he moved to Italy, the Murray Mintz. This is all in the 1400s, and he was the chief rabbi of Padua for 47 years. Okay, so those of you who are going to visit Italy, maybe you could find, uh, go to Padua and think about the Murray Mintz. Okay, and it's a little sad, there was a siege of Padua where his manuscripts were destroyed, but we have a few true vote that remain. So one of the things in Jewish history, there's a certain fortune to Jewish history that, uh, guys, before the world of printing, like it's not so obvious your kid Bayad are going to make it, right? Our manuscripts going to make it. And hit most of his uh, svarim were destroyed, unfortunately. But fortunately, we have a few true vote. Okay, so let's see his true here. So it says the Shut Marimits. Vekatav... Uh, Pinto, what a great heter. What's Samchinan? Get a little bit more precise, guys, to be so on something? Oh, very good. So it can be close, like Samuch, but it calls me to rely. Okay, so make this, well, obviously they're related. When you're close to them, you kind of lean on it, you rely upon it. Okay, so what does he say? So this is great, actually. The first hetter is like a very sweeping, sweeping leniency. What could you say? Well, for the last 2,000 years, for the most part, Jews have lived in chutzlarts. And what do we already say in the Gemara? That chutzlarts duration, right, Shalom? Chutzlarts doesn't count. Okay, so that's it. So we can then have a reason why for the last 2,000 years, no man was told, instructed to divorce his wife because of barrenness. So no, your 10 years doesn't, don't count because you're in the footside. So obviously that is a pretty sweeping solution. Uh, of course, now that we're thank God, thankfully back in the land of Israel, it wouldn't work for us. But in terms of maybe what was a major factor in this halacha shifting over time might be, well, Jews live in footside and therefore the 10 years don't count. Okay, we good so far? Okay, so that's very good, Josiah. The second thing, though, is really remarkable. Uh, it's really a remarkable argument. But before we get to it, we have to do a little bit of background. Let us go to the source eight in Bhagavatam. Okay, this is a fascinating Gemara, guys. We, I always point this out. Sometimes you have to think a little bit historically. 
we live in a world where, of course, Judaism lives without a Beit Midash. What's the big deal? Right? We've done it for a couple thousand years. We're pretty successful at it. Right? Okay. But what if you actually lived at a time of the Beit Midash and then it's destroyed? You might not have such a sense that things could go on. You might have a sense that the game is up, right? It's all over now. Now, even if you'll tell me in Bayit Shani they shouldn't have thought so, I would argue that's not true. Guys, guys, think about it. How long did they survive without a Migdash between Bayit Rishon and Bayit Shani? 70 years. It's not, that's not such an extended period. So they still could have a sense, oh, that was like a brief hiccup, but it doesn't really count. But once there's Churban Bayit Shani, there might be a sense of, oh, it's a catastrophe, right? Things will not really go on from here. Okay, so you get that sense in two Gemara. Let's take a look at uh, two uh, sources in this Gemara. Rafi, did you move forward to be nice to the parents because you wanted to be the center of Shir Koli? Uh, I want to be less mysterious. It's, it's working. It's working, by the way. I, I could feel the air of mystery dissipating. Okay. Manny, that's not true for you. Don't worry. Okay. And uh, is that your kid in the room? Yes. Okay, it's not true for you either. <laughs> not true for you either. Okay. <laughs> All right. So let's go to let's go to source eight. Source eight. Tanya, Amar Bishmol ben Elisha, Miyom Shechar Beit Megdash. Really, once there's a churban, life falls apart. Dinu shenigzar latzmenu shalola chobas v'loshal yai. Notice the sense of catastrophe, calamity we don't have. Right? How could you eat meat and wine? There's no Beit Megdash. Okay. Ella, but what happened? This is actually a very important rule. Okay, have you heard this rule before? This is a great rule. Chazal are not supposed to make edicts that are too hard to keep. Right? I realize, guys, halacha could be demanding, but there seems to be a rule that the halachic system should not be so demanding that it can't be kept. But it's hard to go a lifetime without eating meat and drinking wine. Okay, right. Look at Xander. He only succeeds at 50% of those requirements. Okay, so uh, it's not so easy. Right, so at that point, we're not going to make this Xera. Like, we could make the Xera, but we're not going to. Okay. Right, you do drink wine, right? Oh, wow. Okay. He, well, he almost succeeds. He almost succeeds at both requirements. Okay. What? Okay. Wow, you, you are a very serious guy. Okay. Here we go, guys. Now, next. That was the first impulse. The first impulse was to prohibit meat and wine. And they said, we can't. It's just too hard. Next. Now that this evil kingdom is spreading, and I assume, like someone said, the Romans, they have terrible edicts. They prevent us from engaging in torments. This is really remarkable. This is like the, the epitome of despair. I mean, what are they tempted to say? It's such a bad, corrupt world. We're not going to bring more kids into it, right? That is really remarkable, right? Uh, again, I'm not saying it in a good way, but it's very powerful, right? The sense, in some ways, you might say having children is the greatest statement that you think life is worth it, right? Because you brought someone new into this world. You apparently think that there are things to accomplish, there are things to enjoy in this world. I'll have a child. Whereas if you don't have a child, in some ways, it's a statement that this world is not so worth it. So they were tempted to stop. And what would happen, of course, unfortunately? The descendants of Avram would come to an end. Ella, now notice there's a different phrase here, and I'm really curious the relationship between the two phrases. When they didn't make the meat and wine xera, what was the phrase again? You can't make xera if the tzibor can't fulfill. Look at the phrase here. Hanach lem Yisrael, leave Israel be. Mutav shiu shogigin va'al yumizidin. Better that they should be shogigin, not mazid. Now, doesn't that sound like a little bit of a different argument? Meaning, what's the claim? If we tell them not to have kids, how will they react? They'll just have kids anyway. And therefore, so to speak, to the degree that we view this as a valid principle, they will now not be violating it for shogeg. They'll be violating it. Maybe right? It'll be an intentional violation. So, in my mind, these are two separate arguments, right? The first argument is it never got off the ground because we decided it was too hard. And the second argument seems to be more, oh, in theory it's in place, but don't publicize it because no one's going to keep it anyway. Okay, everyone agree that it sounds a little bit different? Okay, but nonetheless, okay, when we go to the Marie Mintz, once again, back to Padua, we will see he does something amazing. Because I would have thought, this is a fascinating Gemara about responses to catastrophe and the like, but it has nothing to do with ours, our Gemara. Why in the world would it impact on divorcing your wife after 10 years? 
So look what he does. It shows you how much the Mariamins wanted to keep families together. Okay, I wouldn't see the third line of the Mariamins back on top. Yeah. Vigar Sinon. Oh, I can't resist. Joan Uziel. What do you think this abbreviation is after Garcinon? What? What do you think the abbreviation is? Bet Samach Pei. Okay, Yoni Saltz, want to help me out? Excellent. For so parent. Guys, don't forget, till you, till you have printing, Actually, let me just do a brief commercial about Shas. Okay, this is a brief commercial brought to you by Shas. Okay, the uh, there's something very unusual about the Talmud Bavli in that there is universal standardized pagination, meaning whatever Gemara you buy, Daf Chaf Gimel has the same material on it. It's hard to think of another book in world history that has that. Right? Let's say you're writing a college paper on the Brothers Karamazov. You cannot write in your footnote this story, The Grand Inquisitor, is on page 420. Because in every edition of the Brothers Karamazov, it'll be on a different page. You have to write, oh, it's on page 420 in the, you know, St. Louis 1936 edition. Right? That's what you'll have to do. Okay? And even the most Jewish sources are not like that, right? When you make a reference, even Tanakh, right? How are we able to pin down Tanakh? By Perak and Pasuk, but not by page number. Because if I've got the Tard Chaim, you've got the Merkod Gedolot, we don't have the same page numbers, right? But what happened in the world of the Talmud Bavli? We got universalized. There is a universal text that everybody uses. So that is pretty remarkable. Just to show how unusual it is, even today it is not true in the Talmud Yerushalmi. So if you ever see a reference to Yerushalmi, it usually will not say the page number because there is not standardized pagination Yerushalmi. So Elias, when you become a famous Jew and you have like five goals, one of your goals should be standardize the pagination of Yerushalmi. Okay? Well, it'll be a big favorite of all of Amisol. Okay. I'm sorry? Okay. So in any, any case, so if you're a toast vote and you want to quote a Gemara, you can't say page 23. So how do you try to help the reader out? You might say, it's the beginning of the chapter or the end of the chapter. Guys, think about it. What if it's like a 30-page chapter? It's not such a helpful reference. It's somewhere in Ches Karabatim. So that's why he says, "Beso Perek Ches Karabatim." Joe. Why is that a reason to not have standardized pagination? Look, the Yushami is shorter. So I don't know if that's what you mean. It's shorter in the Bavli. It's organized I think you might be saying something. This might be a knowledgeable mistake. I mean, it's true that in the Bavli we call them Mishnayo, and in Yushami we call them Halachot. That is absolutely true. Why do you know that, by the way? You just like peruse Yushami in your spare time. Okay, but. Oh, that's it. Oh, Rabbi Savino, we should ask you about this. Okay, there was a fellow named Avner Kronish who used to complain because he thought the rabbi's sons had unfair advantage. Like, they just pick up things at the dinner table. So he didn't think they should get credit. Is that, is that fair? You think it's unfair? I think he's doing great. Okay, great. There you go. That's it. Forget Avner Kronish. It's okay if you're a rabbi's son. Okay, but, uh, but Joe, but I still think the breakup is the same. It's just they're called halachot as opposed to being called Mishnayot. Okay, great. So now we're going to see some amazing guys. What argument, what's going to be the second argument? Okay, I'm on the third line again. Garcina besoper cheskar abatim. Mishachar ben amidash. He quotes our Gemara, right? Now skip down to the fifth line. This is really amazing. One of the most amazing arguments you'll get in the history of Allah. Hilkach, therefore, lechala pachot, at least, ain kofin loti. We're never going to force a husband to divorce his wife. Vafilu. There it is, Israel. Guys, how is he using this Gemara? It's really remarkable. What's he claiming? Well, what does Gemara indicate? That there's a certain logic nowadays to stop having children. Now, granted, we didn't adopt that as the communal policy. But once there's that logic in place, what could every couple say? Oh, you know what? We, it's okay we don't have kids because that impulse that's manifest in Baba Batra. So I think it's amazing. He takes something that's a little bit more of an agatic Gemara, and, he, and it's not something that we follow. We all still keep the value of trying to have a family and have kids. But yet he says, once that impulse was there, that is something else we could bring into play halakhically. And that is another reason why a couple that's been barren after 10 years can still stay together. So to point that one thing, I'm not sure what to make of this. Where does he say this? Yeah, I don't know what to make of this, but 
he applies the Ein Gozum Gzeira to the second idea. You look on the fourth line. It's not like the text I read in the Gemara. I have to figure out where that came from. We had Ein Gozum Gzeira for the meat and wine and Shogig Mezid for the having children. And he throws in the Ein Gozum Gzeira for the second one. Okay, so I have to think where that came from. We've got argument number two. Okay, but good so far with the two arguments? Yeah? Okay. So you agree that the second argument is pretty uh, radical move to use this Gemara Baba Batra as a reason why life goes on even though they haven't had children. Okay, Elliot, do you find it shocking? Are you a little out of it, Elliot? I lost you. Okay. You missed a bad time to go to the bathroom. But it's okay, I guess. Yeah, really. It's not your fault, I suppose. All right, Josh Iskowitz, do you find it shocking? Okay, and you were following? Okay. Are you, are you tying tits as we speak? Okay. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, get a pair of scissors, Josh. Okay. We're going to do two more arguments. Okay, let us go to source 10. Okay, he is not so famous, but he's worthy of knowing about. He was a posek in the 20th century. He lived in B'nai Brak. His name was Rabbi Eliezer Waldenberg. He was very, very involved in medical halacha. Those who are interested in the interaction halacha in the medical uh, world, I would very much recommend him. Uh, I guess it's especially appropriate because uh, parents, one of the things I've discovered this year, I don't know why this is, there's a weird anomaly, like almost every Araita buffer this year, one of their parents is a doctor. And in some cases, they're both doctors. We're, we're totally out of proportion, right, in the world of doctors. So I don't know how that happened exactly, but uh, just remind me guys, who's, who's that, both doctors? Who was that? Noah Lod? Uh, it was Askiri also, right? Yes, yeah, sorry. Okay, and uh, there you go. See, even if they're Dutch, they're both doctors. No, okay. Doesn't Who doesn't count? Oh, he's a kind of doctor. Wait, why, does it, why doesn't he count? He counts. <laughs> Medical doctors? The question is, don't say psychologists count as doctors. Ah, okay. And, oh, and Ryan. Okay, guys, guys, see, already we have four people in this. It's not so big yeshiva. Four people already. It was, everybody's a doctor. Okay, when we actually get to the one doctor, it's just out of control. Okay. What? Okay, that's true. That is true. And they, they even work together. Same practice. Okay, here we go. Let's go to the Tzitzeliezer. Okay, so he says, now he makes it very clear that there was, this wasn't just a theoretical psak. This was an intent that Postcom really felt, you know, the marriage bonds are very serious. We should find ways to enable a couple that wants to stay together to stay together. So look what he says. It's very powerful. Kigdole adorot. Guys, good rabbinic phrase now. You can try to sneak this in. They would enter. Can anyone tell me, like, before we get to what it means as an image, what does it mean literally? What's a Korah? Anyone? Korah? Babakama people? No, third pair of Babakama? Doesn't help. Okay, Korah is a beam. And what would be Uvea Korah? What's of? Ayin Bet? Anyone? Say it. Kidding with confidence. Yes, the thickness of the beam. Now, this is an idiom. Guys, excuse the rabbinic idiom. You say, I really took it seriously. Say, I entered with the thickness of the beam. Like, let's say, I don't know, Jack is discussing a book about World Series champions. He could say, Nichnasti be'uve hakora. Right? I got into it with the thickness of the beam. I really got into it there. Okay, so here we go. Now, what did the Dogdoyadora do? Lahatil pesher ben zug. Pesher is like a pshara, like a compromise, a working out between the pairs. It sounds like what was a constant move? Well, maybe not a lifetime extension, but oh, it's 10 years, but wait another year or wait another two years. There's this constant attempt to try to have the marriage work out. Okay. Even though the strict halakha would be to divorce. Okay. Even sometimes with them together, this is an important word for everyone to know. What is a tkufa? Time period. Good. Very good. Who was that? Josiah. Very good. How do you know the word? Uh, BBY. Uh, there we go. Okay. Excellent. So a period that is. Lo- oh, and I'm just curious. I'll just try this on my parents for one second. Okay. Is there any parent here who learned how to speak Hebrew fluently in elementary school? No. 
Okay, okay, I guess not true. Okay, but uh, no, because one of my claims about Jewish education was that, you know, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, there were elementary schools that took it so seriously that student, American students were learning how to speak Hebrew without going to Israel for a year. And now we kind of have the opposite phenomena that you can go to Israel for a year and not pick up Hebrew. Okay, but uh, so I had a, mo- a mother in class yesterday in Lindemann who went to Halb for elementary school, and her, her Hebrew was excellent. Okay, it was quite impressive, just from Halb Elementary School. Rabbi Savino, where do you go to elementary school? If I could ask. I went to either Schechter, Boston. I thought Schechter takes Hebrew seriously. I think they might have. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's funny you say that because someone argued to me that it's unfair because maybe only like the few stars of the school get the Hebrew and maybe everybody else doesn't get it. Right? So uh, if you're not, I guess, uh, fully into an elementary school, maybe it doesn't work. Maybe that's true. Yes. Okay. <laughs> In any case, Okay, so back over here, guys. So even in more than 20 years, what other mission was bothering them? So again, as we said, guys, it's a clash of two different real halakhic values. Prove who is very real value, but so is marriage. Look what he says. Let's not be so quick. I get a little poetic here, too. Guys, okay, stira has two meanings. It can mean to contradict and to... Destroy. So restore binyan. Let's not be so quick to destroy a building. And then he has playing off Talmudic imagery. Some of you might know this. Asher mizbeach moid a loved mode. Even the mizbeach cries. Now, guys, I give you a good rule for life. If someone's being too poetic, they're probably referencing the source. Yeah, I've always wondered how to teach this because it's very hard to teach like scientifically. When is someone being too poetic? But here it's pretty much a no-brainer. Like, why would he say, oh, this is the kind of thing where the Mizbeach cries? Where did that come from? So does anyone know what the Gemara associates with the Mizbeach crying? Joe? Uh, that was an extremely good guess. But no. Okay. That also was a knowledgeable error. Rabbi, your son only makes knowledgeable errors. Okay. Anyone know which one? Yes. There's a Gemara that says when, the, when a man and woman get divorced, the Mizbeach cries. Now, it's very interesting why that's the imagery that's chosen. Okay, but not for us right now. We can think about why is that the appropriate imagery. But be that as it may, clearly that's an expression that we view it as something uh, somewhat tragic. Okay, so now what does he say? We should not be quick to destroy a building. What kind of building? One about which the Mizbeach cries. Okay. And many had faith in God, and they were successful. Now again, we have imagery again, you guys. Asu Peri, what does it mean here? They made fruit, namely, they had children. And look what he says now. I know myself. I know of a couple that were barren for 10 years. And the husband indeed said, I guess he was less romantic, this fellow. I demand again. They went to a great rabbi. A great word coming up. All the Lubavitchers should know this word. What is hashpa'a? Influence. Very good. Okay, wait, Yishmik here? Yishmik, do you know that word? Yeah. Because very often in Chabad, they say that everybody should have a mashpia, someone who's like their positive spiritual influence. Does it ring a bell or no? Okay, there you go. But now, you, now you know. Very exciting. Okay, and Mamadi Bahashpa'a is influence, right? Not with a bet, right? With a pay. Hashpa'a. Okay, so who is Shpia? He influence. What do you try to convince the husband? So I think there's actually an interesting strategy also in life, guys. Sometimes you can't solve a lifetime of problem, but sometimes you could temporarily solve the problem or push off the problem. So apparently, what did the rabbi say to this husband? I know you want a divorce, but. Give another year. What do you have to lose? Give another year and let's see what happens. Habal hiskim, the husband agreed. Va'ad shana nifkedu uke'it yeishlem kvar nechadim. And then again, this does happen. You could speak. Uh, is anybody's uh, anybody's parent here like an obstetrician or gynecologist? Anybody? Who is? Uh, there you go. You can talk to your dad about this. I bet your dad could tell of cases where they didn't have kids for ten years and had children afterward. Yeah. Yeah. Yes? All right, well, bring your dad in. Your dad should have been here for this year, Kali. Okay. Now, what does it mean, the last line, guys? Ke'et yeishlem kvar nechadim. What's ke'et? 
Now, okay, you're ineligible for the next three boards, okay? Okay, okay. Unfair, I'm Israeli parents. Okay, okay, eight, right? Eight is time now, right? Yeishlam Kvar Nichadim, what are Nichadim? Grandchildren. Okay, great. And once we're doing a little modern Hebrew, guys, okay, you're ineligible. How do you say a great grandkid in Hebrew? Oh, very good. Who has that? BPY does it again. Is that why you know it? Wow, guys, you also, I used to say you also got the Shechter from in school. You also got the BPY. Then you speak Hebrew. Wow. Very good. Okay, so a Nechet is a grandson, and a Nin is a great-grandson. Okay? Very good, Josiah. Okay, do, do you, like, understand the Hebrew shear without difficulty? Uh, like a full Hebrew shear? Yeah, full Hebrew shear. Depends on the face. Uh, okay. Wow, terrific. Okay, so what's the claim, of course? They wait a year, and thank God they have grandchildren now. So it sounds like the Tzitzil Yezer, it's interesting, it's not so much an uh, argument from a halachic text, it's more an argument from human experience. What does the Tzitzil Yezer say? What's been our experience? That sometimes if we just give it more time, the problem does get solved. And since that's true, we should feel less halachic urgency to go through with the divorce. Okay, so we, and, he's, and he even mentions the value, right? He says, look, we care about marriage greatly. We think about the fact that the divorce is associated with the Mizbeach crime. Okay. Excellent. Anyone with a comment or question we've done so far? We'll see the last argument of the day. Okay. So let's go to... Does anybody want to sneak this in? Uh, yeah, I'll just mention what it is. Okay, this is just a good work to know about. And maybe knowing about the work is more important even than the specific thing he says. Okay. There are different kinds of halachic works. Okay, so one kind of work course is the halachic code. Okay. Who classically wrote the three most famous halachic codes? Rambam's Mishnah Torah, the Shulchan Aruch, and the Tour. Okay, now Benji also made a knowledgeable error. Benji said the Rif. Now the Rif is interested in halacha, but why would it be incorrect to say the Rif wrote a halachic code? I bet you can answer your own, diffuse your own answer. Here we go. Exactly. A code means you reorganize it in codification fashion, not I just quote parts of the Gemara. So the riff is halakhic, but not a code. But there's a third kind of halakhic work, which in some ways is the most dynamic, which we call shelot v'tshuvot. Right? You didn't write a code, but you got specific questions, and you wrote the answers, and then we produce a work of shelot v'tshuvot. Okay, so again, it's very interesting, because with a code, you kind of get the rule book. Here you get kind of specific cases. And there's some rabbis where that was how they really stood out and showed. Like, everybody has their place. Some people are Tanakh stars, some people are Halakha stars. Even in Halakha, your media might be you're good at collecting into a code, or you're good at answering individual questions. If you had to pick somebody in the 20th century, and again, these are called Shelot Vichuvot, or Shutim, right? Who in the 20th century, their main medium of expression, where they really made a mark, was Shelot Vichuvot, Elon? Excellent answer. Is that what everybody was going to say? Ah, Moises, I suspect I know what you're going to say. Go for it, Moises. Ah, there you go. Excellent. Okay. It's good. It's good. Now, see, we're trying to make this even more, uh, you know, inclusive. Okay, excellent. Okay, so those are two very good examples. Okay, now it's, I, I'll tell you in particular why they're good examples. Both from Moshe Feinstein, about Yosef, wrote other Svarim. But yet, they're known mostly by. They're true. Let's do both. Most of you even do Rav Vadya first. Well, anyone know the names of Rav Vadya's Chubot? There's a long one and a short one. The long, no, no. Yalka Yosef is not that. Yalka Yosef is, is his son, and it's actually a code. Right? It's not Chubot, Yalka Yosef. No, Chazanov Vadya is his person. Anyone? All right, Moises, you have to do homework here. Okay. The two sets of Chubot are called Yabia Omer and Yechavedat. Yabi Omar are the long ones, Yachavadat are the short ones. Okay? Oh, very good. This is amazing, guys. Rovadia basically knew everything by heart. He had a tremendous memory. So uh, he used to have a radio show where people asked a lot of questions. He would give the answers. He would just rattle it off. Those answers were written up in Yachavadat, which is why they're shorter. I guess it wasn't like a two-hour-long radio show. Okay? So those are the shorter two votes. Yabi Omar is just things he wrote. Ramosha finds he wrote a lot of Svarim, but what's he known for? It wrote Moshe. Okay, so that is this whole Vancouver Public School. Okay. I heard, I heard there was an elective on Igor Moshe. Right? But, but, but you turned it down to take the one on, I don't know, the note of you. Okay, so uh, in any case, guys, just to know what this is, okay, the Pidchei Tshuva, it's playing off the word Tshuvot. 
So it's on the bottom of Shulchan Aruch, and he wants to know, oh, what interesting chuvot have been written about these topics. Okay, so I, I really want everyone to know what that is. So that is the Pitfei Chuva. It's basically an opening into the world of chuvot. So if you're ever curious, oh, I don't know, it's hard to find, where did I find a good chuva? So you can see in the Pitfei Chuva who he quotes. I'm not going to read inside, just in the interest of time. But he basically says a case where the husband had some kind of illness, and he said, you know what? It doesn't have to be such a serious illness. If the husband struggled with illness, what can we say again, based on the first Mishnah? We're attributing the lack of children to his health and not to any problem of barrenness. And that's why, right, like, I mean, like a separate health issue. We're not a health issue that he's barren, right? Oh, it's because he's always been struggling medically that they haven't had a child. Okay, so just to sum up, I think we have a good example here, guys, of how Halakha tries to balance different values and how Psak might develop over time. Again, we have a very strong value of having children. So in the Mishnah, that was very manifest, right? If you go 10 years without having a child, you have to do something, divorce, his second wife, etc. But over the course of Jewish history, Poskin really decided to push the value of marriage, the ability to marriage loyalty. And we saw four different arguments they used to why we don't really practice this halach anymore. Number one, chutzlarch, that was an easy one for a couple of thousand years. Okay, number two, the, I think this is the most remarkable argument, the Marimins, based on that Goran Baba Basra, there's a certain justification to not having children. Okay, that's pretty remarkable. Then we had the Tzitzeliaz who said, just empirically we've seen that after 10 years people can have kids, and that could impact on things. And the Pisle Chuba, I didn't read inside, but he quotes the Chuba from the Big Day Kuna that any kind of illness on the husband's part could also be a reason to not plug this in. Okay, last two questions. Elias. Um, if someone goes today, like, can't have kids with their wives, can Look, there's all kinds of fascinating questions with modern fertility treatments, but I'm going to duck them off for now. Certainly not with two minutes left. Okay, was there another hand up? Yeah. Oh. Um, we say from the beginning that we care about loyalty more because the second answer was to marry another wife and not to divorce the first wife. And after the Sarah of Rebidikeshon, then we flip the tone to he doesn't need to divorce his wife. Oh, that's interesting. It's very clever, then. I have to think about it. You're saying like there was always this impulse or desire to not force divorce, but once Kendabeter Gershom came along, like the game changed, as it were. That's very clever. Put that in your parish on your bumble. Okay, anybody else in the back there? All right, parents. Oh, yeah, please, Rabbi Savino. So, I, I just, uh, just wanted to ask a question about um, the shoot of uh, the Mari Mitz. Uh-huh. So he's in the position, period, the 14th Although, he, don't forget, he left. Well, he went from Germany. See, he didn't experience the position. He went from Germany to Italy. Okay. So this is a beautiful shiur about the values that we have, but how much are these values also a conversation with, with what's going on on the outside world? Look, it's a reasonable question. I have to admit, uh, my expertise does not extend to marriage practices in 1500s Europe, so, or 40s Europe, so I'm not sure how to answer that question. They, I, they're probably, I would guess Professor Avon Grossman, if you've read his books, he'd probably be the right address for that. Okay, all right, parents, it's great to have you, and everyone should have a very enjoyable Shabbat. Uh-huh.